to Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellett. Today's story comes to you all the way from Zimbabwe, by way of Lexington, Kentucky, and Westville, South Africa. Peter Wetzler says that growing up in sub-Saharan Africa came with its problems, especially when Zimbabwean inflation skyrocketed 2.2 million percent. So I think stereotypical Africa um, is, um, there definitely is that part of Africa, you know, the, the, the wilderness and uh, small villages, um, and then, uh, you know, in the cities uh, where I where I grew up, um, Harare, you know, it's it's like a small city. Um, it's actually not very different to Lexington where I live now. So uh, it'll be a small city kind of um, uh, lifestyle in terms of things to do and uh, friends and, and family and community. It's very similar to that actually. My early childhood, um, uh, you know, Zimbabwe was uh, pretty stable. And then with the uh, economic crash that um, I think started in like 2005, um, where we had hyperinflation, um, things got like, very different. So, um, you know, my parents dealing with having to import, you know, basic goods um, and uh, um, I went to a private Christian school for my primary school and then uh, I went to boarding school for high school. A really good swimming school in South Africa. Westville Boys School in Westville, South Africa provided Wetzler with not only a world-class education but also the opportunity to swim against a more competitive crowd. Yeah so I think it was really good for me going to boarding school in South Africa first because it was like a small step you know from you know uh, kind of similar to British culture in Zimbabwe and then moving to boarding school in South Africa was the first time I was like living amongst um, people that weren't similar to me. Even though Zimbabwe and South Africa are border countries, leaving the country complicates things socioeconomically. Most um, meets would have been outside of Zimbabwe, so uh, to go to any like high, higher level competition would have been uh, outside of Zimbabwe. Um, my family also did quite a bit of traveling, just um, um, I think in America, as an American, if you want to travel, you just go to a different state. But because America is so big, you can, you can go skiing, we can go to the beach. Uh, you can, you know, there's so much variation just staying inside the United States. Whereas uh, Zimbabwe, you're pretty much um, you're kind of limited to those options. So um, our family did quite a bit of traveling when we were growing up. Uh, in terms of traveling inside of Africa, it's a bit different to traveling um, in the United States, uh, just in the sense that um, driving anywhere out, like out of Zimbabwe, it becomes very difficult. The roads are not going to be so good. So, what would be a, a six or seven hour drive in America is going to be a 12, 13 hour drive once you add in all the potholes and traffic and, and border crossings. So it's, it's a much slower process, a much longer process. Um, and then um, most African countries will require, um, uh, as a Zimbabwean, for you to have a visa. Because of the crash that Zimbabwe experienced in 2008, a lot of uh, a lot of Zimbabweans fled the country, and so they would go to another country and then just stay. So um, Zimbabwe's got a terrible reputation uh, because of that, where now pretty much anywhere you go, you're going to need a visa. The visa process was familiar to Wetzler, though. 
Prior to boarding school, he had visited what he estimates to be between 30 and 40 different countries. His first swim meet outside of Zimbabwe was a quick 12-hour jaunt up the continent to Nigeria. Um, so I think my first meet was to Nigeria, uh, to Port Harcourt. Uh, I was 14, I believe. Um, and uh, traveling to Nigeria, um, um, I think that there might have been some civil unrest while we were there. This is now, you know, 11 years ago, so I don't remember it super clearly, but there might have been some civil unrest. We were escorted by military vehicles. We were, we couldn't leave the hotel without uh, military personnel. I mean, it was, um, uh, it was very different to what I had experienced before that. Uh, in terms of competing, I, I did, I swam well. Um, I, uh, um, it was definitely a good uh, first step into international competition. It wasn't until 2014 that he checked the United States off his list. But when he did, it changed his entire life. He had plans to go to an American university, as two of his older sisters had, but hadn't toured any of them. He ended up getting the nod from the University of Kentucky, but the Wildcats hadn't been on his list before a chance encounter dating back to his Zimbabwe swimming days paid off. So I was really lucky actually. Um, looking back, so many things like lined up for me to be able to come to UK because I did not know the system. I didn't know how um, the process uh, of like speaking to universities worked. Um, I thought I was a lot better than I was. So I was aiming at one level and, you know, getting attention from a different level. Um, so when I started the recruiting process, uh, which I started late, I didn't realize that um, most of the recruiting gets done at um, like sophomore, junior, junior year. And I was uh, starting the um, application process pretty much halfway through my senior year. So uh, I left it really late. Um, and then I, uh, when I started the recruiting, like uh, I started emailing a bunch of coaches um, and I heard back from a couple of universities. Um, I heard back from Auburn and Indiana. And uh, I, I really wanted to go to Auburn. Um, there's, there was a really great um, Zimbabwe swimmer who won a gold, a gold medal for Tinder Backstroke uh, at the Olympics. Um, uh, I think in 2004 and 2008, Christy Coventry. And so she swam at Auburn. So I wanted to go to Auburn. I knew the uh, I knew that you know uh, they had a number of you know Olympic champions, um, so but it wasn't they didn't offer me any scholarship. And then I was offered a scholarship at Indiana University, and a really generous offer too. So I was like super stoked. Um, you know, send me the details and I'll sign it and I'll be there. You know. And they went away to conference, and when they came back, um, they pretty much just stopped responding to my emails. And they eventually they did respond and say, look, we signed somebody else. Uh, and so now we were in April of 2016. And I was meant to be starting in August and I didn't have a place to go. And there was actually um, another Zimbabwean swimmer who swam at UK, who told his coach about me. Um, and he reached out to me and said, hey, um, you know, are you interested in coming to UK? I'm actually coming to South Africa to the nationals next week. Uh, you know, I can see you swim. 
and I met with him like the following week for dinner. He watched me swim and I signed with UK like uh, maybe like four weeks later and then arrived on campus like uh, four weeks after that. So pretty much once I'd spoken to him, the decision was made and I got to UK like six weeks after I had met him. <laughs> when Wetzler landed on American soil, he was one of only a handful of Zimbabwe born athletes competing in swimming. But Zimbabwean athletes are interwoven at all divisions of NCAA sanctioned sport. In terms of all sports, it must be a lot. Um, I mean, um, pretty much the options for Zimbabwean athletes are the US, which is enticing because a lot of it's scholarship based. Uh, another option is Australia, which scholarships are difficult to come by. And then the UK, which most of the UK um, most of the athletes that go to the UK are going to be rugby players, so uh, they wouldn't be coming to the US anyway, really. Um, but there are some, some um, uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, Zimbabwean athletes that come to the US for um, uh, the athletics, yeah, you know. Um, then when I came to the US, it was a very big adjustment, um, you know. You, you know, from small things like, you know, nonverbal communication, which is big in, you know, in Zimbabwe. You know, we, a lot of our uh, communication style is non-verbal. Coming to America where it's very much um, a verbal um, uh, communication style. Um, you know, a lot of things getting lost on, in translation. Um, you know, people not understanding my accent. Um, I used to speak a lot quicker. So, you know, even to be fair, even my own family didn't miss some things. So when I had a really big accident, accent and then I was speaking fast, um, in America, a lot of people didn't understand what I was saying. So it was a very difficult adjustment that first year. Um, and then uh, in terms of swimming, um, it was enormous adjustment because the training level that's expected in South Africa is just not even near what it is at a college level here. So, um, I mean, my first practice, you know, I was struggling to keep up with even the worst girls on the team, like I, I couldn't keep up with them. So um, the, um, the expectations for training are much higher here. One of the most stark competition differences was one that would remain an unexpected constant throughout his swimming career, the changing of his events. I, it was kind of strange. When I got recruited, I was recruited as a 50, like a relay butterflyer and then a 100 butterflyer. And I think my coach, at the time had hopes that I would swim the tuna butterfly and maybe the tuna freestyle. Um, when I arrived, I um, showed early promise in the sprint freestyle and I really have always enjoyed sprinting. Um, I, uh, um, I like the attention to detail that uh, is required for sprinting. So um, uh, I think at the first like the race that meet that we went to, which was uh, our mid-season in 2016. Um, I went, so I'm at 20.1, um, and that was the first sign that maybe instead of having me in the, in the uh, instead of trying to get me to swim the butterfly events and uh, swim a more distance, let's uh, focus on the sprints. Um, and then uh, senior year, I got a, um, uh, my coach left and we got a new coach in who was really good sprint coach and um, 
his attention to detail uh, and his coaching style was like a perfect match for me. So um, together we worked really well and uh, I improved a lot my senior year because of that. The combination of a new coach and a different way of seeing competition changed Wetzler's perspective. In Zimbabwe, despite the sheer amount of collegiate and elite athletes that the country produces, it's decades behind on its mental health advocacy. When Wetzler got to Kentucky, having people ask about both his physical and mental performance was a huge culture shift. Mental health is not, is, is not even discussed. I mean, I would say um, mental health is, in Africa, is probably where America was, you know, 40, 50 years ago. I mean, it's, we're not even having a discussion yet about it. Um, looking back in high school, you know, I knew teammates and friends that were having telltale signs of struggling with mental health and, you know, it wasn't even discussed. Um, so there was, it's not even like there wasn't resources, there wasn't even an awareness of, of uh, the mental health aspect. Um, in terms of uh, like an ACC school, I mean, I, I never used any of the resources, but um, I know that it's really, really um, accessible. Um, I know of a number of athletes that have used it extensively and found it to be very helpful. And so like, I know South Africa is starting to have that conversation um, and it's definitely being led by the international discussion about it. So, you know, seeing someone like um, Simone Biles, you know, cancel out of an event um, in Africa, like that wouldn't even, that's not a, like, that's not, like, that's not uh, even something you could bring up. Um, like, I, I, can't, I can't even imagine having that kind of conversation with my coaches Africa. So. Not that my coach is, you know, uh, harsh or anything like that. It's just, it's not um, even discussed. Uh, and then coming to the US where you have coaches um, who, you know, are you know asking about your, like you, if you have a bad day and, you know, you didn't really perform at practice, you know, pulling you aside and saying, hey, you know, what's going on? You know, how's, uh, how's school going? You know, what's going on? Like I noticed today you were, you were a bit sluggish, like, do you have lifestyle stress affecting your training? I mean, you, we had these conversations and at first I was kind of confused because like, um, it was so different to what I was used to. Um, it was, you know, growing up where it's like, you just got to get the job done um, to let's see, let's do the job and let's do it um, as efficiently and um, as healthily as we can. So that was a really big adjustment. What Wessler learned over the course of his first season at Kentucky was that improvement was fully within reach, but it would take a tremendous amount of work to represent his university and his country. In 2016, his hard work was rewarded when he became the first man to represent Team Zimbabwe at the International Swimming Federation's World Championship. He competed in the 50 and 100 meter freestyles and racked up enough points for, eventually, an even larger stage, 2020's Tokyo Olympics. I first realized that I might have a chance in 2016 um, after my first uh, semester of college. I had improved so much that the uh, trajectory seems maybe slightly out of reach, but definitely possible. Um, and then in 2019, um, early 2019, they came out with the qualifying process. Uh, for Zimbabwe, it's a bit different to America where um, because we don't have um, 
athletes qualifying on an A standard. Uh, if you qualify on a B standard, uh, you can go. So for me, that was a 22.66. Um, and then um, in the July of 2019, uh, at World Championships in um, South Korea, I swam at 22.77. So I missed the Olympic cut by just a tenth. So um, about as close as I could get to it without um, breaking it. And, um, and then my senior year, I improved dramatically with my um, new coach. So uh, at conference, my senior year, I broke the school record and we were preparing for NCAAs. And then we were looking at uh, meet opportunities for after NCAAs uh, to get the qualifying time. Um, and obviously COVID hit. So uh, we didn't go to NCAAs and uh, I, didn't, I didn't have access to a pool for three months. And, um, uh, and I only started training back with the university team uh, once I was vaccinated in April, April, I think it was uh, March, April, somewhere around there. And so um, I was now out of shape and um, um, trying to get this uh, qualifying time. And I trained with the university team, I think for like two or three months, we went to a qualifying meet in Atlanta. I didn't get the time, I missed it by 0.3. Um, and so to me, I pretty much knew that the only chance left for me was to get what's called a wild card. Um, and Zimbabwe is traditionally given a wild card, but um, it, there's so much discretion and you know, that nobody really knows. Um, uh, you, you can't be confident that we were going to get one this year. Um, and uh, the announcement was made that there was going to be a wild card given to Zimbabwe and the selection would be based on FINA points. So in swimming, a thousand FINA points is the world record and then uh, based on an algorithm, it's um, like uh, one split second off the world record or two split seconds off the world record will be 999 points. So it just came to whoever has the highest FINA points for Zimbabwe. Um, and that, so I was selected and I got to uh, compete uh, under the um, uh, wildcard system. Mere weeks before he left for the games, Wetzler was met with a last minute obstacle. It was a terrible way to find out because um, I have uh, a notification set on my phone. So anytime there's like a, an article that mentions me, um, it'll Google will email me saying, hey, this article mentions you, it's really neat. Um, and I got a notification saying that I was mentioned an article. And I assumed that it was gonna be like, you know, the, the shortlist of uh, this people being selected. And it was the news article announcing the Olympic team for Zimbabwe. And it mentioned, you know, Peter Wessler swimming 100 freestyle. And I was like, ah, oh, you, know, you know, local newspaper, they must've gotten it wrong. And, uh, you know, the next, uh, a couple of hours later, I got an email from the uh, Swimming Federation saying, you know, congratulations, you've been selected uh, for the Olympics and you'll be swimming the 100 freestyle. <laughs> and I, I responded and said, no, 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 you, you mean the 50 freestyle? <laughs> and they said, no, we really put the, the paperwork in, you're swimming the 100 freestyle. Um, you know, it's, um, that's what you're doing. And this is how the selection process goes. And 
it wasn't clear to me before that. So uh, that was a shock for me for sure. I was really focused on competing in the 50 freestyle. That was always my best event. That's the event that I hold the university record in. Um, and because I didn't qualify for um, the uh, the B cut, uh, when it came to the wild card uh, selection, they decide based on peanut points. And it just happened that my 100 freestyle technically had higher peanut points. So. Um, uh, three weeks out from the Olympics, I found out that I was swimming double the distance that I was meant to be swimming. So um, it was a huge shift to trying to get some some fitness, some more fitness in before uh, we start to taper. And uh, in a 50, you don't really have that much race strategy. It's just swim as fast as you can go, and you know, um, attention to detail on the hundred. You now have to have pacing and uh, a bit of control, especially in that first you know, 20 to 30 meters, because if you push a little bit too hard, you, you'll fall off uh, at the end. And if you go a little bit too slow, it's hard to pick up uh, momentum. So uh, a lot of the race strategy I had to adjust. Um, and uh, so I was really pleased that I even got anywhere near the, the, um, the record and then to, to break it was really, really special. Yeah. His 100-meter freestyle time of 50.31 seconds broke the Zimbabwean record and set his new personal best. Even still, that time placed him 42nd of 70, shy of the semifinal race. Swimming is quite a nice sport where you, you kind of know where you're going to land up. Um, you know, um, unless you do something really special, which is, you know, at the Olympics, it's probably not going to be the meet that you suddenly have a breakout swim. Um, so going into the meet, I kind of knew, I was looking at the you know, 40 to 50th, you know, sort of zone. Uh, I think I was seeded 51st, so, you know, semifinals wasn't really in my side picture. Um, really, I was, uh, I wanted to go best time, um, you know, based on my training, I couldn't really expect much more for myself. Um, even, even asking, you know, for a best time was a bit of a reach. The eight months leading up to the Olympics, you know, I was working full time and training, training in the evenings. So uh, it wasn't like it wasn't uh, my training wasn't like it was when I was in college, where you know you train the maximum amount and then everything else kind of packs in. It was the opposite, where you know I had life and uh, work, and then I was trying to squeeze uh, training in around. So um, you know, my goal was to go best time uh, and. Uh, you know, I wasn't really um, aiming for a semi-final um, you know, performance. So uh, when I finished and um, had improved my time and uh, improved my standings, I was really happy with that. That's about as much as I could have hoped for. Wetzler got to Tokyo as one of only five Zimbabwean Olympians. He joined fellow swimmer Donata Katai, golf's Vincent Scott, rower Peter Gilpin, and sprinter Ngoni Mashuka. Yeah, it was really special because, um, you know, Zimbabwe, a population of 15 million, um, you know, to have the support of 15 million people just on five athletes, you know, I think in America where you've got, um, you know, hundreds of athletes, you know, winning gold medals. And um, if you're, you know, even if you're a silver medalist or a gold medalist for America, you're kind of one of many, you know, so, um, to have the support of an entire country just on the five of us was really special. Um, you know, I got hundreds of messages um, 
you know, supporting me and congratulating me and um, just people saying that they're proud of, um, you know, to, you know, be seeing as a Bobby in there. So that was really, really, really special. Yeah. These five became Zimbabwe's smallest team ever. But Wetzler found that his Olympic experience hardly felt like he was alone on the pool deck. Especially um, US team members, you know, I knew, I knew of a bunch of them. Um, you know, Caleb Dressels, he swam at Florida, so my freshman and sophomore year, uh, I was competing against him. Um, he obviously was really good even then. Um, and uh, then there's also a bunch of uh, other nationalities that have come to the United States for university that I was competing against, you know, from Serbia to Egypt to Australia, a bunch of, um, um, of my, like, uh, peers that were you know, US based, but competing for other countries. So it was really cool to like walk on deck and, you know, it was kind of like, a, um, it was like conference, you know, where you can see all your mates. It was really fun, yeah. When he returned to Zimbabwe, he was met by a similar sentiment he had received online. I um, got time off, went to the Olympics, competed and came straight back to the States to carry on working. So I didn't get that, you know, welcome back until December when I went home for Christmas um, and uh, when I arrived it was really special. Um, uh, my, my parents organized a function at our house where uh, we had you know a bunch of my you know, childhood friends and families and pretty much you know the community that had supported me you know from when I was a kid all the way through. Um, you know my mom's you know Bible study you know friends and um, you know the swimming community and um, it was really special to you know, be able to thank um, all the people that had helped me get to where I got. Getting to the Olympics after he had graduated from Kentucky completely changed the way Wetzler dealt with life after the peak of his performance. He had two bachelor's degrees from Kentucky in accounting and finance and was already set in a full-time job when he left. He says that made it considerably easier to use his personal best at the Olympics as a closing door on his career. I was quite lucky in the sense that uh, when I was really young, I think, you know, maybe 14, um, I realized that, um, or I had seen a, a number of athletes that had done really well and then, you know, finished competing and had that problem of who am I if I'm not the athlete? Who am I if I'm not, you know, the Olympian or the gold medalist or whatever? And I started thinking about, that whole process when I was young. And um, I read a couple of books about, you know, athletes being done competing. And um, I can't remember which, where it was from, but one of the pieces of advice was, uh, be very careful about uh, how you define yourself uh, to both yourself and to other people. Uh, and be, try not to define yourself by the things that you're good at. So, you know, I'm an accountant now. I, I try not to define myself as Peter the accountant, you know, I try to find myself as, you know, as somebody that's kind, that's, uh, that puts out more good into the world than, than bad. And um, I'm hardworking and, you know, the characteristics that are internal rather than uh, uh, performance based, because, uh, you know, with anything, uh, if you're really good at it, almost certainly there'll come a time where you're not the best at it. Um, so, um, even before the Olympics became an option for me, I was already starting to define myself by things that weren't uh, performance-based. Um, 
And then uh, uh, with the Olympics being postponed and I started working and the demand that it took to, um, to both train and to work, uh, I realized that this was not sustainable. Um, it was unhealthy. And um, so I knew that at the end of, at the, end of the Olympics, that it was it was time um, I you know the Olympics was an achievement that you know any athletes dream so there was not much more to achieve there's not uh, I didn't feel like my career was cut short you know, I was uh, very happy with my performance and um, even if it had been a bad performance I think um, I was ready uh, to move on to uh, the next step of my life so I, like I work in public accounting right now which um, um, requires more time commitment than, than most jobs. So uh, there would be months where I'd be working, you know, upwards of 60 hours, and then also trying to fit in, you know, 15, 20 hours of training, trying to uh, maintain my diet and recovery. And uh, um, with uh, training, um, there's a belief that uh, lifestyle stress can uh, increase fatigue so if you're if you're just a, an athlete and you're just focusing on your performance and everything's 100 percent you know having uh, an external lifestyle stress like you know a death in the family or a friend's sickness or uh, um, you know work pressure can directly affect your physical performance you know uh, for me it would be in the pool so um uh, you're trying to maintain a really high stressful job um, uh, and and you know swimming at a high level was um, very difficult. I ended up getting shingles and you know my hair was falling out and my nails weren't growing. It was really a stressful time for me. So um, the um, the external load uh, was just not sustainable. Yeah. You know? If you resonate with Peter's story and you feel as though your lifestyle stress is mounting, I have a great opportunity to help you. I'm so happy to have BetterHelp on for another week. Now that we've solidly arrived in 2022, how are your resolutions going? Are they causing you added lifestyle stress? Are you even thinking about them anymore? BetterHelp is the perfect resource if you're still working at them. In 2022, I want to improve my diet and exercise regimen. And if you're anything like me, having someone to hold you accountable might be just what you need to reach your goal. One of the best ways to reach your 2022 goals, even those which may seem insurmountable, is to follow through on healthy mental health habits by working with a licensed therapist. Now, I'm bringing that option to you, the listeners. If you've ever listened to a Close Your Mentality episode and thought, I feel exactly the same way, I'm working with BetterHelp's sponsorship to bring online therapy to your phone and computer. BetterHelp offers video, phone, and live chat options, and you can speak to a licensed therapist in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp has more than 20,000 licensed therapists around the country, and you have access to them at any time. You can get thoughtful messages from your therapist, and if you aren't happy, it's free to change providers. If you're worried about the cost of traditional talk therapy, BetterHelp also plans for that with accessible financial aid options. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You deserve to prioritize your mental health this year. Get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality.
That's better, H-E-L-P.com forward slash closer mentality. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. The link is also in the show notes. Now let's get back to Peter's story. amount of commitment that I you know, gave to the sport. Um, I think competing at, at a high level in any sport, uh, to be the best, you're going to make sacrifices that are not sustainable. Um, and uh, in terms of uh, lifestyle stress and um, like uh, the effect on my health, uh, I don't think I can maintain that for another three years. So I definitely think, you know, at the, the level that I got to, I'm really proud of, and uh, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I think for my genetic potential and uh, my talent potential, you know, maybe I could aim for, you know, 26th or 23rd or 19th or, you know, maybe even sneak into a semi-final, but um, the, the marginal benefit to making a semi-final is not there, so um, I'm really happy with with um, where I got you. Wetzler is officially retired from swimming competitively, but he's committed to maintaining that part of him for as long as his body will allow. Part of the reason why I did well at swimming uh, is because I love swimming. I mean, even now, um, I, I love being in the water. I love um, you know, the feeling of uh, efficiency, of the glide, of um, uh, pushing you know, the envelope of uh, my aerobic ability. I really enjoy that um, uh, that work process. So I, I don't think I'll ever, you know, truly stop swimming. Um, I I still swim now. I you know I swim down at my local YMCA and um, uh, I enjoy it. You know, I'm just training on my own, but um, I don't think that I'll ever stop swimming altogether. Um, and uh, um, I think you know. Uh, it's just uh, deciding what uh, level to train at and that's healthy and uh, sustainable. Now that he trains for his personal well-being and not to set national records or qualify for international competitions, Wetzler has to rework his brain in its relationship with the sport. Uh, this was something I struggled with a lot when I first uh, finished uh, you know, competitive training because you know, I was so used to, you know, we need to push to the absolute maximum, you know, just barely, you know, brink of failure. Um, you can't do anything unless it's the maximum. So, you know, going back into, you know, regular life now to go to the gym or to go to the pool, uh, I still had the mentality of, let me push myself as hard as I can. Um, because it becomes so ingrained, the, the, um, the ethic of, you know, why do you think that going to do it to the maximum? Um, and, you know, I don't think, I don't think it's healthy for your tendons or your, your body or your, your muscles long term. So it took an adjustment period where I went from, uh, let me, you know, do this bench press until failure to, hey, let me just do, um, you know, um, uh, you know, leave, leave two or three reps in the tank and know that my shoulder health is going to be there in 10 years time. Um, you know, when I was uh, competing, I had, um, you know, physical therapists and trainers and uh, a whole team of people around me to, you know, keep me healthy and to keep, you know, my body functioning. And now just in regular life, like um, if I have a shoulder injury, 
not that means I can't gym for three weeks because I have to, you know, I can't go to the physio every day you know, like I could. Now I go to the physio once and then get some prehab and it's a, you know, you know three or four week healing process. So I'm much more cognizant of um, uh, the health aspect. I'm, you know, I'm exercising to stay healthy um, and, uh, you know, I'm doing a bit more compound lifting. So, you know, squat, bench, um, that kind of thing, much more than the cardio base. So before I was competing, I was doing um, quite a bit of cardio. Swimming is a cardio-based sport, so that makes sense. Whereas now, you know, I probably lift more than I, uh, I do weight training more than I uh, do cardio training, which is a difference. A lot of being an athlete means, you know, making sacrifices on small things that you wouldn't even think of, like, um, oh, your friend got a skateboard. Um, I probably shouldn't ride that because if I fall and break my arm, that's my season's over. So, you know, going out, uh, you know, ice skating. I, I haven't been ice skating since I was a kid because the risk of injury, ice skating is quite high. So I'd avoid that. So now I'm, you know, getting into enjoying, you know, trying new hobbies, trying out things. And um, I picked up golf, I quite enjoy golf and, uh, you know, just trying out a bunch of different things. and. Um, uh, you know, maybe enjoy, you know, the regular life. One of the greatest takeaways from his relationship with swimming was that in order to succeed, he put emphasis on disassociating his identity as an athlete. Don't, don't define yourself by what you're good at. Define yourself as, as what uh, is inside of you. So you know, the, the goodness that you are or the, the characteristics inside of you. Um, you know, your work ethic or your kindness or... Um, uh, things like that. Uh, in terms of performance-based, I think if you're focused on a goal that's going to be, um, that's going to require a lot of effort or um, discipline, uh, it's much easier to do if you're passionate about it. So yeah. I, I'm never going to be a great golfer because I'm not passionate about it. I was a good swimmer because I was super passionate about it. Um, I enjoy golf, but I couldn't do it every day because um, uh, I, I'm not um, super into it. So um, when I when I was swimming, you know, and we were training 20, 30 hours a week, the first 15 hours I was enjoying myself. The last 15 hours, maybe I wasn't enjoying myself. But if you don't enjoy the first hour, by the time you get to hour 30, you hate your life. So if you enjoy what you're doing, do it. Um, but if you really don't enjoy what you're doing, the chances of you being highly successful in it is very slim because there's somebody else out there that's really enjoying what they're doing. And the first 15 hours when they're doing it, it's going to be a breeze because they're so enjoying what they're doing. So uh, find what you're passionate about and, and pursue that rather than, you know, doing what's popular or what pays or um, that's, that would be the, the biggest piece of advice I can give. Thanks so much for listening to Peter's story and episode 54 of Closer Mentality. As always, I'm your host, Julia Mellett. You can learn more about Peter on Instagram at PeterWetzlerOLY and Closer Mentality at Closer Mental. You can also watch Peter and I's entire chat on the Closer Mentality Uncensored YouTube channel. Next week, I'm excited to bring you Emily Potter's story all the way from Greece. But until then, see you next week. Mm -hmm.